0: Welcome to the Grace Long Beach podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening.
1: Today's reading is uh, from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. At one time, you were like a dead person because of the things you did wrong and your offenses against God. You used to live like people of this world. You followed the rule of a destructive spiritual power. This is the spirit of disobedience to God's will that is now at work in persons whose lives are characterized by disobedience. At one time, you were like those persons. All of you used to do whatever felt good and whatever you thought you wanted so that you were children headed for punishment, just like everyone else. However, God is rich in mercy— He brought us to life with Christ while we were dead as a result of those things that we did wrong. He did this because of the great love that he has for us. You are saved by God's grace. And God raised us up and seated us at the heavens with Christ Jesus. God did this to show future generations the greatness of his grace by the goodness that God has shown us in Christ Jesus. You are saved by God's grace because of your faith. This salvation is God's gift. It's not something you possessed. It's not something that you did that you can be proud of. Instead, we are God's accomplishment created in Christ Jesus to do good things. God planned for these good things to be the way that we live our lives. This is the word of the Lord. Kids, you're dismissed the King's Quest. As the rest of us... Uh, t- t- can take our seats.
0: My name is Daniel Long. I'm a pastor here at Grace. And, Jeff, I was thinking about your prayer in one of the lines in there. It says, from dirt springs life. And I think that's the shortest way of describing what it is we're going to talk about today. Um, so thanks be to God. <laughs> uh <laughs> we're in a series in Ephesians, and we're getting to this point in, in this book in Ephesians 2, which we, if you've been in the church for any period of time, you, you know. This text is a very powerful text. It is, it is one of those texts that, that describes the work that God has done in Jesus to show us grace. And it's a, it's a text that we talk about when we say, no, following Jesus isn't about works, It's about grace. You've been saved, not by what you do, but by what God gives to us through Jesus. My sense this morning is that for some of you, this might sound new. Or it's something you've heard before, but for the first time, God is beginning to speak it afresh through his spirit in your life. And I guess my word to you this morning is, listen. Listen. Listen to what God has to say to you. This might be a moment, a day, when you move from a path of death into a path of grace and life. And I'd like to pray that God might do that for all of us this morning. Father, you, you are a God who reveals himself to us in Jesus. Thank you that you are not distant, but you are near. God, I ask that you would speak to us and that you would speak through the walls that I build up to keep you out. Speak through the walls that we all build up to keep you out. Get inside of us, inside of our hearts. Speak your grace to us so that we might be alive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we've gone through this this book so far, Paul begins in Ephesians 1 really with this focus or this orientation on God and what he's done in Jesus. The first passage is, is one long sentence of praise, of, of God in Jesus choosing, destining, um, redeeming, adopting all of us, his people that really this is what it means to be part of the church, that we are able to kind of peek behind the curtain to see what's really going on. And then in the second part of chapter 1, Paul begins to pray, again, in one long sentence, to pray for what we, as God's people, might experience. Having this sense of hope, understanding the riches of God's grace, and then recognizing that in Jesus we have power. So Paul's orientation or his focus is, is like this, onto God and who he is and what he's done. But then he he kind of turns his attention onto us. And he says, and you. So it's as if in the letter, Paul is saying, look at what God has done. And then he wants to look directly into our eyes. And he has something to say to us. And this is what he says. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So Paul wants to say, he wants to look at us and say, this is who you were. And he begins to tell a story, a story from death to life. And he begins with this unpopular word called sin. This word that It's really hard to use, really difficult, has had a bad reputation. Because as we think about sin, often what we think about are these little moral actions, this one thing that I do that is wrong, that that's a sin. But Paul seems to be talking about something way more complex and massive and big, this idea of trespasses and sins, and somehow there's this spiritual reality that's involved. So if we go back to the beginning of the story in the, in the book of Exodus, the beginning of the biblical narrative, what we see there is this story in which God makes things that are good. All things are wonderful and beautiful, and God says that each thing he makes is good. And he makes humanity and these people, and they're in perfect relationship with themselves, with one another, with God, and with creation. Then as we know the story, something happens. They're, in a way, tricked. They want to be like God. And in an effort to become like God, they eat of this tree that they were told not to eat of. And all of a sudden, their eyes were opened. But then all of a sudden, the relationships between with themselves, with one another, with God, and with creation are broken. There's a rupture. And all of a sudden, this thing is introduced in the world called sin. But what is sin? Sin. If sin is something more complex, if it includes these right or these wrong actions when we know when something is right, but it also includes this complex system, I mean, what is it that is actually going on? What is it that we're dead into? Well, what I think Paul is attempting to get at is there is a way in which our lives are oriented that without God leads to death. That is why we are dead in trespasses and sins. There is a way without God that we just can't help but get out of. There's this author, an English author, his name's Francis Buford, and he talks about it like this, that sin is the human propensity to mess things up. That there is something inside, and just so you know, if you were to Google Francis Buford and you were to look up this quote, he uses way much colorful language than mess to talk about what it is we're doing. Just, just so you know... Um, I want to be real with you, but the human propensity to mess things up, that there is something within us that we can't help but get out of. And he begins to describe how this is all something we we know. When we're lying in bed at night, and we, we think about our day, we think about the things that we did, and there are those ways in which we were that we just couldn't help ourselves. We just ended up in that way that our lives are kind of oriented in a direction and we can't help ourselves. Do you ever have that experience when you do something or you say something and then you think, man, I did it again? You find yourself the next morning wondering, how did I get here? I should know better. You find yourself with your spouse or with your kids and you think, we're here again? How is this possible? It seems like we're complicit, right? We have choices that we make. But yet, there's also something that is happening that seems beyond us or that is kind of wraps itself around us. This is what I think Paul is getting at, this human propensity to mess things up. We can't get out of it. And without God, it is something in which we are dead. Now, a few examples I think of to talk about sin and maybe what it is and the complex system that I think sin is. I think of, I think of Breaking Bad, right? Walter White. Yeah, he's funny, I guess. Um, also terrible. Uh, so Walter Wright, he, he is this guy who, in the beginning, right, he has cancer and he's dying, and he needs to make some money for his family. So what does he begin to do? He begins to make meth which seems like the natural course of things if you're in Albuquerque or Lancaster. So, um, uh, so Walter White, is, 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 he's trying to figure out how, how to do something, how to take care of his family, and he begins to make this. And here's the thing. At the beginning, as a viewer, you don't say, I can't believe this guy. This is ridiculous. What you think is, okay, I can kind of understand and then over time, throughout the series, you are implicated in Walter White's decisions. Because he puts himself in a position in which it seems like he has choice A or B, which are both bad. And you think, yeah, I mean, what else is he going to do, right? I mean, this is, I, I guess he's, he's got to do that. I mean, because if he doesn't, then... And, and all of a sudden, he goes from this character who wears a white hat, right, who is good and right... So at the very end, who's this character who's wearing the black hat who becomes the villain? But all along the way, he's made little choices that seem at the time totally reasonable. Or think of the example of The Wire. If you're around me for any period of time, I can't help but talk about this thing because I think it's one of the greatest pieces of art ever made. And it talks about the city of Baltimore. And it talks about all the different complex systems that that are wrapped around this idea of the drug trade in Baltimore. Now, this isn't a series that says drugs are bad, right? Just don't do drugs. This is actually a series that's about so many complex systems that are implicated and involved in this idea of drug trafficking. But you have characters, and you have police officers, and you have politicians, and you have teachers. They're all wrapped up in this and they're trying to do the best that they can, but in this system that seems so fallen, and everybody is implicated. And you begin to have compassion for these characters because you think, wow, this is the world that they were brought up in. What else could they possibly do? Sin. It's a world. It's a complex system in which we we find ourselves and can't seem to get out of. Another example that I love. This film came out two years ago called The Florida Project. I think it's one of my favorite films certainly of that year, probably the decade. And here's a story about this six-year-old girl named Mooney. How many of you have seen this? Not enough. So, um, so Mooney is this six-year-old, and, and she lives with her mom named Haley in this, in this, uh, this motel called The Magic Castle which is in Orlando, Florida, and it's on this strip of road right outside Disney World, which is important to the whole theme of the film. But Mooney and her mom, Haley, find themselves, because of the economy around this time, pretty much homeless, making it paycheck to paycheck, trying to rent out this room in the Magic Castle. And Mooney, as he, it, it's told from the perspective of this child and you, as an adult, you see how awful Mooney's world is. She, as a six-year-old, has no idea. This is just the world that she knows and the world that she's involved in. But you see her world, and and she has basically run of the place, of all the different places around her. They're just run everywhere, and they're having a great time. And her mom, Haley, is trying to make ends meet. And she makes terrible and poor choices along the way. But the movie doesn't let you condemn her. The movie doesn't let you condemn Haley because you can't, because you can't imagine another way. Or if you do, you can't imagine how they, how she might get to that other way. She is simply a part of this world, and Mooney is a part of this world that is broken and that is turned upside down and that is leading ultimately to death and to an ending that is in some ways very tragic. But it seems like there is no other way out. Do our lives, Maybe to not, not to that extent, but our lives sometimes feel like that. Our experience of ourselves and in relationships with, with others, we can't help ourselves. That is sin. That is what it means to, to trespass. There is a problem, and we can't get ourselves out of it. And it's massive and it's big, and there's this spiritual component somehow. This is what Paul brings up, this, the, this, the power of, of the air, right? What are these spiritual powers? There are these things at work that we are complicit in, yet victims of. Sin, it's a problem, and it's massive. And if it's, we stop there in the story, it would be a tragedy. But Paul does this thing in verse 4, and he says, but God... Those two words. Here's the story of your life. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. You couldn't help yourself. This was the natural course of things. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace and you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. But God, this is how your life was, but God, being rich in mercy, has made it possible for your life to be one that's on the path of grace and love But if you're anything like me, the way I live my life is in some ways an understanding, or at least if I'm not oblivious to myself. With the first three verses of Ephesians, I recognize my brokenness. I recognize my trespasses. I recognize how my desires are kind of inverted on myself. And I I can't help but think of what I want before what what might be good for others or what God wants. And then what I think is the solution but i but i being faithful and holy but i being disciplined and good but i and whatever you might do to fill in the blank right we know there's a problem and we can't get ourselves out of it and often we think the solution is inside of us and paul says not possible Not possible. You are inverted on yourself. The world seems to be oriented in a direction that is away from God. It is a much bigger problem than you ever thought, and you can't get yourself out of it. Not your holiness, not your righteousness, not your goodness, not your disciplined life. Only God, being rich in mercy, is what makes life possible. I mean, that's an amazing thing, right? To to think that the answer to this complex system of of sin in which I am implicated and complicit yet somehow wrapped up in, God is the one who gets us out of it because of his mercy, because of his great love. And why? Because God wants to show us his kindness. Do you ever think God wanted to shower his grace upon us because he was just annoyed? Okay, these guys obviously can't do it for themselves, so grace. (laughs) It doesn't say, well, finally, they couldn't get their act together, so God being totally annoyed, just sent us some Jesus to give them. No, God being rich in mercy, being rich in mercy, but God wanting to shower his immeasurable grace on people to show his kindness. That is what motivates God. That is what activated God to come to us in Jesus Christ so that we might have new life. And here's the thing. Because of this new life, it talks about us being seated with Christ, being raised up to life with Christ. The things that happened to Jesus are the promises for us as well. That Jesus being seated with God, we too are seated with Christ and we now are over the powers that used to rule us. That we have possibility beyond the path that we once were in that would only lead to death. But we now have a different path that we are able to walk into. And certainly, of course, there's a residue of our old life. There are habits that we were in. There was a totally inversion, a total inversion in, in ourselves that we couldn't get out of. So of course, even though we've been put into this new path, there's going to be these leftover habits These things that are destructive, these things we want to get rid of, but can't. The Apostle Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. I mean, if the Bible isn't applicable in that way, then that's how I feel every single day. But here's the thing. We now have a new way. Yes, there are things that are still a part of us that we want to get rid of, and it's going to require a new way of living, new habits, new things to introduce into our lives to orient us constantly toward God. But now it's possible because our lives are wrapped up in the person of Jesus. Our story and Christ's story are intimately connected if we are tethered to the person of Jesus. But God, being rich in mercy... has saved us by grace. And because Paul knows me, he knows he has to repeat it again. In verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. I know it sounded ridiculous when I said it before, but I really do mean it. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. First, First Corinthians 4, it says, Paul says, What do you have that you did not receive? If that isn't grace, and if that isn't life, I don't know what is. If we think about ourselves, the life that we've been given, one another, this church, what do we have that we did not receive? God, being rich in mercy, gives and gives and gives out of his kindness to show us grace and to give us life. And it's not a result of us and our work. Now, if you think it is, then all of a sudden Christianity is not Christianity anymore. If you think you've been saved by your work to receive grace, then that's a totally different thing than what God has come to do in Jesus Christ. And so many of us are living a completely different thing than Christianity. Because we begin with the work and in order to find grace. No wonder Christianity seems like a total exhaustive practice. No, we do good things. We obey because Christ first loved us. We live into the way that God has prepared before, for us in Jesus because of what God has already done. Any other way, trust me, that is not Jesus, that is not Christianity, and you will want to get out of it as soon as possible. And so if you've somehow rejected Christianity because you think that's what it is, you've not rejected Christianity. Let me tell you the good news. Jesus wants to show you mercy and grace in Jesus Christ, and He has, and guess what? That is what you live from. That is the gospel. That is the good news. Anything else, go ahead and leave it behind because that's not, that's not what God wants to offer you. And here's where it gets good, right? If you didn't think that, yeah, here's where it gets real good. So the end of this passage. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. So God has not only given us new life, but has prepared us for and prepared a life for us to walk into. And that's wonderful. But there's this really cool word in there called, that's translated workmanship. Or um, in some translations, it's, it's handiwork or masterpiece. It's the Greek word, which I don't pull out a lot of Greek. One, because I don't really know a lot of Greek. Two, because it just seems like, well, you don't know the Greek, so why would I do that to you? But this word was really... It really affected me all week it's the word poema so workmanship is the word poema which is the we get the word poem from so we are god's workmanship we are god's poetry we are god's work of art i don't know about you but i love that that idea that idea that i am God's work of art. And some of us, maybe we're a song, or a sculpture, or a painting, or a film, or a poem, or a novel. We are God's work of art. And here's what I think is so wonderful about that metaphor, to keep pushing it a little bit further. If we are God's work of art, then God as the artist is continually crafting us, working with us, making us. Now, as any artist would know, you, they know when they are creating a work of art, they begin with something, with an idea, and they, they sort of begin to tease it out. And then over time, the piece of art might get away from them. It might become what feels like its own thing or a surprising thing. And at times the artist will kind of see where that goes and say, okay, well, let's rein it back in a little bit. But there's this relationship between the creator and the creation. And perhaps you're one of those people right now thinking, I don't know where I am in God's crafting of me. It feels like God has sort of left me or let me alone. But the promise that God offers to us in Jesus is that God is continually working in us and with us and through us, making us into something wonderful and beautiful to be put on display. Now, this makes me incredibly gracious toward myself. Because I, for some reason, I don't know if it's my psyche, I don't know if it's my personality, it's probably sin and just being messed up, um, but i have this sense in which i can i can walk around living life as if i think like i'm deep like there's something deeply just wrong with me something beyond sin i'm talking about but like a flaw like there's something i'm constantly trying to look for in order to 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 give my life a sense of meaning or just help me feel worthy i don't know if any of you feel that way but if you do i totally get it but this sense of God working with me as a piece of art gives me so much grace for myself. Because perhaps you think, God could never do anything with me. But like an artist looking at a block of stone, thinking, you know what, I could probably make something like David out of that. The statue of David. Or you know what, this just looks like a cathedral. A cathedral. And all of a sudden, an artist has an idea, and it becomes the Sistine Chapel. Or you know what? These are just simple words. I don't know what to do with sort of these words or, or, or this rough draft. And then it becomes something like Moby Dick. And if you don't like Moby Dick, then choose a different book. But just don't choose like, I don't know, Jody Picole or something like that. Um, uh, but like a real like, masterpiece God is making. But it also helps me have grace for other people. Because if as I look around here and I see all of you, I wonder I wonder what the great artist, what God is making out of you. And it's easy to look at one another and to assume that they should be a certain type of song or a certain type of, of sculpture or a certain type of painting or a certain type of poem. But that's not for you to decide. God is the one who is the craft, the craft maker. God is the one who is the artist. And he is the one who is working with us because of what God has made possible in Jesus and through the power of the Spirit. He is the one who is constantly at work. And so perhaps instead of looking at one another saying, hey, you should really be this type of song, what if we actually thought, huh, what does that piece of art say about who God is and what he's like? I mean, I, sorry, like when I just said that, a person came to mind. Um, so I'll need to attend to that at some point, and you can ask me if I did. But it's so easy to, to, to think that a person should be the type of art or the type of masterpiece or the type of of thing that, that you have envisioned for them. But God being rich in mercy is the artist who is at work in all of us. And what's really great about that is all of a sudden the church becomes something like an exhibit. A museum. Where God's works of art are on display for the world to see how incredible this artist really is. And that is what we are together. Caught up in this thing called the church, shown mercy and grace the person of Jesus, and we are God's handiwork, his masterpiece, his pieces of art to be on display to show the world the goodness and grace and love and mercy and creativity and patience and kindness of God. And that's good news. So we have an opportunity this morning to participate in this this practice that we think is important. It's called communion. And in this practice, we come forward to receive, which even in that, if you think about it, we come forward to receive is a suggestion that we don't have what it takes to give ourselves what we need. So as we come forward to receive, the bread, which represents the body of Christ, broken, is a way to absorb these trespasses, these sins, this world of evil and violence. As God's body is broken, we are reminded that God held nothing back. But His being rich in mercy took everything He had. But then we also drink the wine which is His blood spilled for His people For the church. As a way to suggest that we need cleansing. That we need to be made new. That we need to be made right. And we need God's body broken. And we need God's blood spilled. Because again, we in and of ourselves, we can't take care of what we need. And this table represents a God who being rich in mercy, because of his kindness showered us with grace. And this is a way in which we continually remind ourselves the story that we're a part of or a beginning to that story to say that the wonderful artist, the creator, the God who has revealed himself in Jesus is constantly making us and working with us and constantly giving us all that we need. This is a practice we do together and so I encourage you as you Come forward as you stand behind people, as people stand behind you, as you look around. Think of this being God's museum, an exhibit for us to see the incredible work of God on display. God's rich mercy and immeasurable grace showered upon all of us. That is what we're doing here together. Let me pray. God, you are good. Thank you for making us, for crafting us, for working with us through your spirit. Thank you for showering upon us your grace. Thank you, God, for holding nothing back. And Help us, help me to have eyes to see others through your eyes. To see others as being people you are making and creating and working with. Thank you that you are the artist who is patient with what you are making. In your making of us, God, help us to be open, to receive your love, and to bear witness to that love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.